Boy, the kids did a uh, bang-up job up there. A lot of fun. Glad you guys can make it out here for that. We're going to be in Matthew 2, taking a break from our study through the book of Luke. Um, it was kind of tough. I'm so used as we go verse by verse, book by book through the Bible. Uh, when we get done with, for example, on Wednesday nights, we're doing Jeremiah. When you get done with Jeremiah 1, you go into Jeremiah 2. When you get done with Luke 9, you go into Luke 10. So when I was trying to pray over and kind of see where the Lord wanted to go this morning with a message about Christmas, I started reading in the Gospel. And it's a little overwhelming because you got the Gospel accounts of, you know, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You got the prophecies in Isaiah. You got the prophecies Malachi. It's kind of like, where do you go? And anytime you have an idea that you think is kind of neat, you stop and you think they've been teaching on Christmas for about a thousand years. Every pastor somewhere has probably covered everything. So in Matthew 2, most of the time when you read about the birth of Jesus, you read Matthew 1 and you stop right at the end of chapter 1. You don't go into chapter 2. In chapter 2, we're introduced to the wise men. I've always been fascinated by the wise men. That's what I want to talk about here. And they're not mentioned that much in the Bible. They're only mentioned about 12 verses here in Matthew chapter 2. They've become such a part of what we think of when it comes to Christmas. To be quite honest, most of the stuff we think of when it comes to the wise men, it's really just not in the Bible. We make the assumption that there's three wise men. Well, there's not three wise men. The Bible doesn't say for sure how many wise men there are. No, we make this assumption that they traveled on camels. Well, we don't know anything about that. Every nativity scene has the wise men, generally with some people there. You know, we make this assumption that they visited Jesus in the manger. In fact, if you read in Matthew chapter 2, they visited Jesus when he was a young child in the house, possibly a couple years after Jesus was born. So there's all these things. Well, we, they have names, three names. Well, that's not mentioned either. Once again, there was three because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So obviously there must have been three because there's three gifts. If that logic was true, my kids have about 400 grandparents because they, you know, it just that logic doesn't work out. So... Let's read about these wise men and see what's going on with them. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now let's just stop there for a little bit. They came from the east. This word wise men, some of your translations actually uses the word magi. That carries a Babylonian Persian background to it. These guys came from over around that Persian kingdom. That's quite a trek. You're talking eight. 900 miles, 1,000 plus miles, depending on where they were. This was quite the distance to travel. They were willing to put the effort into it. And I know every time someone has a baby, we got five kids, you always think your kid is the most special child in the world. But nobody other than grandma and grandpa is going to drive 1,000 miles to come see your kid. That's just the truth. These guys were willing to travel eight, 900 miles, 1,000 plus miles to come see Jesus. They were willing to put effort in it. And they're from the east. That's a fascinating thing, that term magi. Now, if we were doing a Wednesday night study, on Wednesday nights we like to go a little deeper onto things and get into a little bit more meat to chew on. I just want to throw this out there if you want to do a further study on it. Once again, that word magi comes from a Babylonian Persian background. In fact, if you read in the book of Daniel, Daniel is called a wise man. He would have been referred to almost as a magi. Some people believe that these magi from the Persian kingdom, and I use this term loosely and I don't mean physical, would have been a descendant of Daniel. Once again, not a physical descendant of Daniel, but a descendant of Daniel because Daniel was a believer in the Persian Babylonian Empire. He was a wise man. He ruled with them. He was part of the ruling empire there. And some people believe that he had people that he taught about the Lord, and so therefore, that's where this group came from. Once again, not a physical descendant, but a descendant of Daniel and his time that he spent over in the Persian Babylonian Empire as a slave. Fascinating thing to think about, because these guys obviously knew the scriptures. They knew something was going on, because they knew to be looking for the Messiah. How would they have known that? Daniel chapter 9 throws out the timetable when the Messiah was supposed to be coming. So the first thing you see about these wise men is they're willing to put 
effort, effort into coming to know Jesus. That's something we can learn a lot about. To be quite honest, a lot of us, we don't put a whole lot of effort into our relationship with Christ. We just don't. These guys are willing to travel a thousand miles across the desert, who knows what else, because they just wanted to come see Jesus. And what do they do when they want to see Jesus? Look at verse 2. We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. That's all they wanted to do was worship Jesus. Most of the time, when you look throughout the Gospels, people want something from Jesus. A few instances of maybe Mary, etc., where they just truly wanted to worship. But nearly any time someone comes to Jesus in the New Testament, it's either I have a daughter that's sick, I have a son that's sick, can you come heal this, can you do this? These guys travel across the desert, a thousand miles, to truly just come worship Jesus. That's all they wanted. Their desire was just to worship. Boy, Lord, help us to have that same desire. Anytime worship comes up, we all of a sudden become music critics, don't we? Too long, too short, too loud, too soft, didn't like the style, etc. We lose the pure reason of worship. Worship is to glorify God, not to entertain us. And what you see here is these wise men came to just worship at Christ. Let's read on here a little bit. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. We'll come back to that verse. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Verse 11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Now, first thing is they were willing to put effort. The second thing is they just wanted to worship. The third part is they were willing to be humble. They went across the desert to go worship a young child. Once again, at the most, probably two years old. Because we know from the rest of Matthew chapter 2, Herod goes out and he slaughters all the boys two years and younger. So they obviously had determined that this child, this Messiah, had to be at least two years, excuse me, at the most, two years old. So these wise men travel across, they find a baby or a young toddler, and that's who they're coming to worship. There's a humbleness when it comes to Jesus. There's a humbleness where we need to realize we need to humble ourselves and realize our purpose here is just to worship the king. To be quite honest, we really struggle with that, don't we? Because I like it when, when Jesus advises me. I like it when Jesus gives me suggestions. And I can take the advice and suggestions he gives me, and then I can make an informed, logical decision based on my own wisdom and intellect. That doesn't work. I'm here to humble myself at the feet of the king and say I'm just here to worship. And these guys, grown men, came and just humbled themselves at the feet of the child and said we want to worship. And look what else they were willing to do. Look at the rest of verse 11. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came to give gifts, not receive any. They just came to give. They came to worship. They came to give. They put effort into it. They're willing to humble themselves. They just came to give, not expecting anything in return. Because we know from the rest of the chapter, they leave and go back home. What did they get out of it? They got to be at the feet of Jesus. They didn't get anything, but they came to give gifts. Now, giving gifts. Well, we struggle with that at Christmas here, don't we? We don't want to admit it because we don't want to admit we have these awkward conversations with our spouse. But you have those awkward conversations with yourself. Honey, are we going to get so-and-so something? Well, do you think they're going to get us something? Because if they're going to get us something, we need to get that something. That's how it works. How much do you think they're going to spend? Because if they're only going to spend X amount, that's all we're going to spend on them. And we have this whole awkward give and take when it comes to gifts on Christmas. Here with the wise men, they show up and they just give gifts. That's all they wanted to do. They didn't 
ask for anything. They just wanted to give. One of the things we always try to teach the boys around Christmas, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the gifts and the materialism. So we try to teach them the reason we give gifts is because Jesus was the gift that God gave us. See, we don't have to ask anything else from Christ because he already gave us the ultimate gift, which is salvation. How can you top that? He gave us the best gift of all is we have salvation in Christ. So what we do the rest of our lives is give him gifts. And these gifts all represent something. Gold represents the kingliness of Christ. He is the king. Frankincense is something they used in the priesthood. So therefore it represents his role as priest. Myrrh was something they used in death for the body. So it shows him being the king, the priest, and also his death. Now if you like a little further study, check this out. In Isaiah 60, you can look at this later. In Isaiah 60, during the millennial reign of Christ, we bring him gifts a second time. The only gifts we bring him are gold and frankincense. We don't bring him any myrrh because he's already paid the ultimate price through his death on the cross. He doesn't have to go die again for our sins. He's already died once all of our sins. So these wise men, put this all together now. They're willing to put effort in to come see Jesus. Lord, help us to put the same effort in. Number two, they're willing to come and just worship. Just worship. Lord, help us to just have that same heart of worship, no matter what's going on, that we just want to worship you. Number three, they're willing to humble themselves. They came to see a baby, a child. Lord, help us to humble who we are and then just serve you. Number four, they're willing just to give. Boy, just be honest with yourself. I struggle with this one. I'm always asking the Lord. Lord, I just want to give. What can I do to you? What is the result of all this? The result is found in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When you put effort into your walk with Christ, when you desire desire to worship him, when you humble yourself before him and you're willing to give of yourself, the result of that is joy. That's what you get is joy. Now, real quick, just to finish this up, jump back to verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Herod didn't have joy. Why was Herod troubled? You know, I don't want to look too much into this because we don't know for sure, but do you ever think that maybe Herod thought something different? Do you ever think somebody came to Herod in his palace and said, Herod, you're not going to believe this. There's a bunch of wise men out there all the way from Persia, and I can tell they're loaded. They're loaded with gifts. Don't you think Herod had a moment of they came to see me? If you look at this passage, there is not one time where the wise men are honoring Herod as king. They don't care about Herod as king. They want to see the real king of Jesus. So Herod's troubled by this. Verse 3, his little kingdom's falling apart. People are coming from a thousand miles away to come sit down and worship and bow down to a baby. His power is slipping from him. This troubles him. This bothers him. Same thing happens today. Now, you may not be a king, but unless you're giving everything over to Jesus, you've got your own little kingdom. And what happens is when you're the world starts falling apart, you become troubled because your kingdom is falling apart. You're trying to hold together your life without the glue of Christ. You're trying to hold together everything without Christ. You're going to be troubled by that. See, instead of having verse 10, joy, you're going to have verse 3, trouble. You're going to have verse 16, anger. Think about somebody you know that you would consider troubled and anger in their life. Without being judgmental, they're probably not real close to Christ. Are they? That's what happens. When you're close to Christ, your kingdom doesn't fall apart because you're being stolen from Jesus. You're not troubled. You're not angry. But when you're the king of your own throne, oh, there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of anger. That's exactly what happened here. Look at this. Not only are they troubled, in verses 4, 5, and 6, he calls the chief priests and the scribes, and they find out where the Messiah is supposed to be. It's born in Bethlehem. Did you know? They don't go. They know who they're talking about. They have scriptural confirmation. These guys know exactly what's going on. The Messiah is born in Bethlehem. 
just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Jerusalem. And how many of Herod's kingdom or Herod himself went to go pay homage to Jesus? Not a one. See, that's what happens. See, we live in a nation today, and we're very blessed. We can meet here openly. We can meet here freely. But at the same time, too, I find it very difficult to believe that there's actually somebody in America that has never heard the name Jesus. You know, they've heard it, and they may have not searched it out, but they've heard of it. See, here's the problem. We have a lot of Herods. Jesus is right beside him in the manger. They don't put any effort to see what he's doing or why he's there. They've heard of him. They know of Jesus, but they don't know. What's the difference between the wise men and Herod? The wise men went to go see Herod. See, the wise men effort into knowing Christ, desired to worship him, accepted and humbled themselves before the Lord, gave of themselves. Their result is joy. Herod, Jesus is right there in his own backyard. Herod denies Christ, doesn't want to see him, in fact goes to the step of trying to eliminate Christ so he can hold on to his own kingdom. What's the result of that? He's troubled, verse 3. He's angry, verse 16. See, you have to decide who's the king of your life. You choose Christ, you're joy. He makes the decision. He leads, he guides. But when you're constantly bucking the system and the Lord, there will be trouble. There will not be that joy and that peace in life that you will so all desire. Herod had every opportunity to take his king hat off and say, I submit my kingdom and my kingship Jesus chose not to. He tried to eliminate Christ. Do the same thing today. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about Jesus. Don't quote to me those scriptures. I don't want to know anything about it. I want to eliminate God out of it. Result of that, troubled anger. We can learn a lot from these wise men. For us to be wise like they are, help us, Lord, to put effort into our walk with you. Help us to desire that worship with you. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to give of our life. The result of that, these wise men, they had an understanding of that scripture. They sought Jesus. They would rather obey God than man. A great example of us. All right, if you want to come back for the final song. Just have a word of prayer. Lord, help us to be wise like them.